Before May 6, 1954, there was something that had never been done before. And you're thinking, well, since 1954, a lot of new things have happened. We've put somebody on the moon and, and these kind of things. But before May 6, 1954, there was actually uh, uh, people were saying this cannot be done. Even doctors were saying it is not even physically, uh, uh, there's not a physical ability to be able to do this. And what it was, was there had never been a runner, a track star, that had ever broken the four-minute barrier on the mile. And uh, it had never been done. And they just said, man, guys have tried so long, it can't be done. And, they, and so this mental picture is there that this cannot be done, that nobody can break the four-minute mile. But what happened on May 6, 1954, is a guy by the name of Roger Bannister was the first man ever to run the mile in under four minutes. Now, here's the unique thing about that. After Roger Bannister did it, by the time the year was over and into the upcoming years, scores of runners would just break the four-minute mile. Well, what made the difference? Why, before they were saying it can't be done, Roger Bannister does it, now runner after runner after runner, to where in our day it's kind of common to hear somebody running the mile, not in this room probably, but running the mile under four minutes uh, to, to run that. What made the difference? Well, they'd been told there was this mental image that, that just said it couldn't be done. And, and so you just think, because I've not seen it, because somebody's telling me it's impossible, I'm not even going to think that it can be done until it's done. And then we think we get this picture of, oh, God, it is possible for this to happen. Now, here's why I share this picture with you. I think there are many people in the, in the walk with Jesus Christ. And in, in our country, in, in, our, in our culture, there's a tendency to say, okay, you come to Jesus, you won't go to hell, you'll go to heaven someday, congratulations, here's your card, here's your ticket, and that's the end of it. And our lives are, are lived as defeated and fleshly, sin, uh, sin strongholds that hold us back, no joy, no, no, nothing that's attractive to other people to want to embrace. We just feel like, okay, I'm not going to go to hell someday. I'm going to go to heaven because of what I did with Jesus. And what happens is, is that, that we, we just don't even attempt to do it because we think, oh, I'm not see, I'm not seeing it in my life or I've seen it just sparingly and I don't think it's possible for me. I believe this. I believe when I look at the scriptures and we're going to be in an Old Testament passage and we're going to be looking at this over the next months is that we believe that when God came and he set you free through Jesus Christ on the cross and through his resurrection and you embrace that. I don't know how old you were. You may have been a youngster like me. You came to Jesus Christ. That It wasn't just someday I'm going to go to heaven. It was meant that there was going to be a life lived with fullness of his promises that he has given to us. But we see many Christians who are not even getting close to this. And why is that? Well, we're going to try to look at that a little bit. And we're in the book of Joshua. And Joshua is in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to walk through this. And it won't be so much verse by verse as it will be chapter by chapter. And we're going to deal with the stories and the high points in here. But here's the ultimate thing. We're going to look at, at the walk with Christ. We're going to do it from an Old Testament perspective that the walk with Christ is meant to be a life of victorious living and not defeat. And so we're going to be looking at that. So we're in the book of Joshua. Now, before I can start reading, and we're going to deal with the first nine verses today, I want to give you the background of this book, okay? So here it is. Many of you know, if you're in, if familiar with uh, the scriptures at all, the first man and woman were Adam and Eve, right? 
Because of their disobedience, they were um, removed from the garden, and they went and they started populating the earth. And so what happened is, is man is born, women are born, and the world is starting to be populated. There was a guy that came along by the name of Abraham. Abraham was one who called upon the Lord. Abraham, the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and go to the land that I've given you. He didn't tell him where the land was. He just said, go. That's always hard, isn't it? When God says go and we want to say, show me the whole map. But Abraham went. And as he went, he ended up in this land of promise that God said that he would give to him. Now, Abraham started, uh, you may remember him and Sarah. They had a son by the name of Isaac, born in their 90s. Go for that. Uh, and so they had, had a son in their old age, the son of promise. Isaac had a son by the name of Jacob. Okay, Jacob had 12 sons. And one of those sons was the name of Joseph. We've all heard of Joseph. Maybe you've heard of the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors and, and this kind of thing. But Joseph was the child um, kind of favored by his dad, okay? And the other sons knew it. And so what did they do? They do what every older brother does to a younger son that they don't, a younger brother they don't like. They sell him into slavery. And so that's what they did. They, they gave him to some slave traders. And uh, by the way that God would have it, he ended up down in Egypt, and he ended up down there, and he didn't have things any better down there. He was from slavery. He was accused wrongly of something with Potiphar's wife there. He was put in prison. He was released from prison. He got back. I mean, he, he had a tough time. But what happened was is he had a gift from the Lord to be able to interpret uh, dreams, interpret dreams. So um, the, uh, uh, there was a dream that he interpreted. And it was correct because a famine was coming and this is what we need to do. And so what he did was is he rose up to second in command in all of Egypt. Now this famine has set in. So the, the Jacob and the other sons are still up here in this, this land that Abraham had gone to. And what happens is, is now they're in a famine and they need to get down where there's food. They come down to Egypt to get food and lo and behold, who's there? God has already put Joseph there. And so now all of the descendants come down there, and uh, they've taken over an area of Egypt where they are. The leader, the Pharaoh of Egypt at that point, a new one comes on board, and these these uh, Jewish people have spread out so many, and they have been vast, that they think we need to do something about it. So what they do is they put them in slavery, okay? Now, it's not slavery for a decade or two. For 400 years, they put into slavery these, these uh, Jewish people. And it became so harsh, they got harsh, more harsh and harsh, that they cried out to God. And as they cried out to God, God sent a deliverer to them, and he was by the name of Moses. And you may remember Moses. Moses, the one whose mom put him in the, in the uh, river there, and Pharaoh's daughter ended up raising him. The way we look at Moses' life is this. For the first, first 40 years, he was man's man. I mean, he was, he was raised with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was man's man. The second 40 years of his life, he was nobody's man because he had to leave Egypt and wander out there in the desert. And then for the last 40 years, he was God's man. So if you're man's man, be careful because he's got a way of making us God's men. And so what happened is, is Moses was, was came and God used signs and wonders. The last one being that the firstborn of all Egyptians would, would die for the cattle and their, and their families. 
And this happened. And uh, that was enough for Pharaoh. He said, you, you uh, Israelites, you Jewish people, you're out of here. Go. And he let them go. And uh, they're they're headed out of that. They're no longer in slavery. They're headed. And you may remember they come to the Red Sea and uh, the Red Sea parts. The children of Israel are able to go on the other side. Here comes Pharaoh's army and they uh, they drown in the uh, ocean. I mean, in the sea. And somebody said one time, they said, oh, you know, I don't believe that. I mean, science would prove that the Red Sea wasn't that deep and blah, blah, blah. Well, if it wasn't that deep, the bigger miracle is they all drowned in it. So that that's the way we look at it. So whatever happens, they all drown in the water. And uh, the children of Israel got by on the other side, and they come to the land of promise that God had promised for them. See, the, the, the deal was this. They were to leave slavery and go into the land of promise. That was God's plan. So they come there, and Moses sends uh, 12 spies in, okay? Two of those spies were named Joshua and Caleb. You may remember those names because nobody names their kids after the other ten. And so they, they go in to the promised land, and they scout it out, and they come back, and uh, they give their report. Oh, man, there's, there's fruit. There's, it's beautiful. And then these ten, though, say, but there's giants in the land. We cannot go in and take it because there's giants in the land. And uh, Joshua and Caleb, on the other hand, say, no, God has given it to us. He owns it. All we got to do is occupy it. And but they don't, you know, how we are, we don't listen to the, the, the minority, we listen to the majority. And so they went with the 10. And what happened is, is they ended up the next 40 years because their hardness of heart and their disobedience, not listening to God to wander for 40 years in the wilderness and not enter into the promised land. 40 years are up. That generation has died away. Moses has just died. And now we're on the verge of the promised land again. And this is where the book picks up. So I gave you all the history up to this point of of where we are in this book. And so this is where Joshua is about to take over to take them into the promised land. Now, here's the cool thing about the book of Joshua. It's full of battles. It's full of uh, uh, walking close to God and seeing God do miraculous things. It's full of up times and down times and struggles that come as they take the land that God had already owned. It was a matter of them occupying it. And so it's the same way for us as Christ followers. And we're going to parallel this and we're going to look at it together as we go into it. So I want you to look at uh, Joshua chapter one and we're going to read the first nine verses and uh, and we're going to come back and unpack it a little bit for us today. So here's what it says. It says after the death of Moses. The servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Now, what I think is very important there is that Joshua had grown so close to Moses and he had gleaned from Moses that the Lord could actually speak to him and he knew it. So that's an important thing. Verse 2, it says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Say never. Okay. 
Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. That's three times he said that. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We're going to stop at those nine verses. And what I want to show you is is that before Joshua was going to be able to lead these people, God is instructing him what I think is in four things before he's going to be able to take the land. And what I want to share share with us this morning is I believe these same four principles need to be in the followers of Jesus if we're going to live the victorious Christian life that he has for us. So there's four. They'll be on the screen so you can write them down. The first one is this, is that we need to claim the promises of God. We need to claim the promises of God. As God begins to unfold this plan to Joshua, the first thing he does is he lets him know the promises that he is going to be with him. Notice what it says in the scriptures. You can keep your Bible open. In verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set foot, as I promised Moses. There's a promise. And then right in verse 4, he says, your territory will extend. It's going to be vast. In verse 5, he says, no one will be able to stand against you. And then also in verse 5, he says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He gives him four promises. He says, The land, wherever you go, is going to be yours. I promise Moses, it's your promise as well. And it's going to be vast, I promise you that. It's going to be enough for all the people. And I want you to know that I'm going to be with you and no one is going to be able to stand against you. These are the promises that were given to Joshua. And I think what God is saying here is, listen, Joshua, I want you to know these promises before you go. And you've heard me say it already, it's this, is that God had already had placed ownership on it. It's just a matter for the people to go and occupy. And here's what I want us to understand today. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have promises from God. They're all throughout the scripture. First of all, we have promise that we are forgiven. We have promises that his grace is sufficient to cover all of our sin. Not only to cover it so that we're forgiven, but the penalty of that sin is now no more and it's erased. The other thing that we're promised is that his very presence dwells inside of us as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's his very Holy Spirit. And it's a spirit that has gifted us. And he has promises of how he is. He gives us comfort and peace. And these are part of him. And the other thing is, is he gives us the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are promises that he has for us. And he wants us to claim those promises. Now, just like Joshua could have said, well, he said that to Moses You know, those are Moses' promises. I'm just not sure about those promises. See, it didn't matter whether promises or not. It was a matter of if he was going to appropriate it into his life. See, you and I have these promises of God, and it's up to us whether we're going to occupy them or not. And that's what God has laid forth in his scripture. we got to claim the promises that are ours as followers of Jesus. Because so many followers of Jesus, it's like they come up to this land, and, and they're not sure they can walk in victory Because they're just not sure that God, that's what God has for them. It looks very hard to be able to do that. You see, and some people think this. They think that the way life is set out is that, you know, just like they were slaves in Egypt, 
that we, when we come to Jesus, he sets us free from slavery. Now, as long as we're in these earth suits the rest of our life, it's like the wandering, and then someday we'll come into our promised land, which is heaven. I don't buy that. I think what God intended was for us to be set free from slavery and to walk in the fullness of his spirit into a victorious Christian living. And so we need to claim the promises that he has for us. So number one was we need to claim the promises that are there. Number two, and we look on in the scriptures, we have to have confidence in God alone. Confidence in God alone. And and here's what I think could have been the case, because verse five You know, he just reemphasizes it. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And listen, Joshua, I think this is just saying this. You cannot do this on your own. Because Joshua was there 40 years ago when they were on the brink of going in. He was one of the spies that had gone in and came back and gave a good report. But here he is again. And he's saying to Joshua, listen, Joshua. You can only do this if you're close to me. You've got to have your confidence in me. I am going to be the one that fights the battles for you. You can't do it on your own. And Joshua had to get all of his confidence from God alone. He had to put his faith in God alone. See, here's what I think. I think there's many followers of Jesus that came to Jesus and, and uh, they asked the Lord to forgive them and to, they committed their life to Jesus Christ. But they come to that point of saying, God, I'm not sure that you can do all of this that you promised out there because they think they got to do it on their own. They think they got to walk in purity and holiness on their own. Now, I'm not I think everybody needs discipline in their life. But, you know, as well as I do, I don't trust my flesh. And if I'm walking in the flesh, flesh against flesh loses every time. I know if his spirit is not what empowers me to live that Christian life, I'm not going to make it. So I got to be as close to him as I possibly can be as I walk out this Christian life because he fights the battles for me. Amen. We got to hear this. I I think we, we don't believe it. But we got to know, as I draw close to him, he is the one that can help me overcome. He is the one that can take my life and make it a victorious life instead of a defeated life. But many Christians are at that point, and what they do is they look at it and say, man, this is too hard. God, I'll go to heaven someday, but I'm going to live a carnal life as long as I'm here. And what happens is, is there's, no, there's no attraction to a lost world. And we, we need to move on up by his spirit, and we need to find our confidence In him alone is where we need to find that. Because, listen, you do understand that salvation is in Christ alone. It's not in you. And that the full life of Christ is in, is in Christ alone. It's not in you. I read a, I read an interesting thing about a guy who used to be with General Motors in their research department. That this story's kind of back a few years. And he said when they had a a problem that they had to troubleshoot, He said when he would call in his team, he said he would make sure they left all of their slide rules outside of the meeting because he knew if they brought them in, he would give the problem and they would try to figure it out and they would say it can't be done. And so many times we need to realize as we put our confidence in God, he may not give us the outcome of what it's all going to look like, but if we draw close to him, it can be done. And so the confidence is in the Lord. Here's number three. When we look at the life of Joshua here in these first nine verses, number three is this. We need to carry out the word of God. We need to carry out the word of God. If you're with me so far, 
If we're going to walk victorious lives, we've got to claim the promises of God. Then we've got to get our confidence in God. And then thirdly, we need to carry out the word of God. Notice what it says in, in verse 8 here. He says this. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, what's the law? Well, Moses was given the Ten Commandments. He was given the law, and we look at it in the, the, the prior books of that before Joshua. We see the law is there. Now, uh, and what, what is being said is Joshua. You need to meditate upon that law. You need to let it become second nature to you. You need to know it. And then you need to apply it. And then you need to share it. Now, you and I are not under the Old Testament law, praise God. We don't have to keep that law. But God's grace, what he did through Jesus Christ, is he set us free so that now it's actually written upon our hearts. And so, but yet the still principle is there is that you and I, need to get into the Word of God, and we need to meditate upon it. In other words, it's that cow chewing on the cud. We, we, this is what I see, and I'm guilty of it too. I, I have a, a plan where I read the Bible, and I want to make sure that I read through the Bible every year. And, you know, uh, especially back when I had my downtime, you know, there was some times I got behind. And so to catch up, you just kind of cram it in, you know, and you don't get anything out of it. And so you just because you want to keep up today because that you get into heaven if you complete the program. And uh, and so but yet yeah, we we need to take time. Slow down. Slow down. Even if it's just a verse and let let God use it and you chew on it and see what he is saying there in the midst of this. And you may want to take a pencil or pen and underline it or journal it and write something down. And and what I've discovered is, is that when I write something down that God has given me out of a, out of a, a passage and I write it down, it's amazing how God always brings it back up for me to share that with somebody. So we meditate upon it and then we apply it. Joshua was told, obey this law, obey it. And if God speaks to you from his word or speaks to you through, through a sermon or a Bible study or, or whatever, you, you, you meditate upon it and then you obey it, obey what God is saying. And then what happens is, is there comes the opportunity to share that with others. What's going to happen with Joshua is he's going to meditate upon the, the law of God. He is going to apply it to his life, and then he's going to be able to share it with all the other children of Israel, and they're going to want to follow. I think so often we as Christians say, I think it's somewhere in the Scripture. Uh, you know, God helps those who help themselves or something like that, and it's, it's not in there. I mean, we need to know what is in the Word of God, and, you know, just to be able to say, you know, I was chewing on a passage of Scripture, and this is what... God seemed to be saying to me, and I'm walking it out, and this is what he's doing. So we need to carry out the word of God if we're going to live these victorious Christian lives that he has for us to live. We must seek to understand the scriptures. We must apply the word to our lives, and we must seek to share those scriptures with others. So you're with me. Joshua was told to claim the promises. He was told get his confidence in God, carry out the word, and the last one is this, and this was difficult. Courageous living. Courageous living. Walk out your life with courageous living. In verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous. In verse 7, he says, be strong and very courageous. In verse 9, he says, be strong and courageous. And in verse 18 that we didn't read today, he is also going to say, 
be strong and courageous. Now, why would you repeat something four times? It's because they were going to be afraid. And so he wanted to come back over and over again and say, be strong and courageous. The giants didn't leave the land. Okay? They were still there. And so many times we get faint of heart. God asks something of us, and we look out there and we say, I can't do it. It's impossible. It's impossible. And God says, be strong and courageous. Just step out and see what I can do. And that was the whole deal. God was saying, I'm going to fight the battles for you. Joshua, be strong and courageous because you're going to need to be strong and courageous because being faint of heart is going to, is going to take you back. So the people are going to get faint of heart. You're going to need to be strong and courageous to overtake the land that I have for you to overtake. So be strong and be courageous. And this is it. How can Joshua walk out his life and be strong and courageous? He must remember that God has called and given him the victory. He must remember that God is always with him. He must meditate on God's word and find strength to walk in obedience. How is it for us as Christ followers? We need to remember that God has called us out. We need to remember that he will never abandon us and victory is in him. We need to remain in his word and walk in obedience. Let me tell you a little bit of a definition of courage. Courage is not the absence of fear but it's going on despite fear. So many times think, oh, man, I'm not going to be fearful. You will be. There will be some times, man, when you're thinking God is asking something of you, whether it's to share with your neighbor or just invite your neighbor over for dinner or to uh, speak to a coworker about your faith or to uh, teach a class or to sing in the worship team or whatever it may be. And God starts putting this on your heart and you're thinking, whoa, that scares me to death, God. And he says, be strong and courageous. I'm not saying the fear won't be there, but you go on despite the fear and you see what I do in the midst of this. And that's what he was telling Joshua and the people. If you're going to take the land, you're going to have to be strong and courageous. And it's the same way for you and me. Hear this. If we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ to live the life he intended, there's going to come times where it just doesn't make sense. And it's going to seem difficult, but his spirit will enable you to live that out. But I want you to hear something. God just keeps putting this on my mind over and over again. God already owned that promised land for for his people, but they had to go occupy it. You and I have victory in Jesus Christ. But why do we live defeated lives so often? It's because we're not willing to go and occupy what God has already done for us. Quick quiz. Are you claiming the promises of God? Allow him to re-energize you with his promises. Secondly, are you getting your confidence from God? See, this is difficult because we like to do it on our own strength. But we need to draw close to him. Psalm 32 talks about he, he leads us with his eye. I mean, we get so close to him that he, he wants to lead us and get our confidence in him. What about the word of God? Listen, I know we talk about the word of God and we talk about reading it all the time. It's always the number one bestseller in our country, but yet it's the least read. I mean, find a copy of the scriptures and daily get into some kind of plan that you can get into the word of God and start chewing on it and see what God has for you during the course of that day. But chew on it, meditate on it, apply it, and then share it. And then fourthly, are you willing to go before the Lord and say, God, despite what I see with my eyes, I'm willing to put my faith in you and find courage 
and strength from you alone. During the Blitz in London, there's a story that, uh, you know, the Blitz, what it was during World War II, is that when the German bombers would come and bomb the city, that uh, much destruction happened, obviously, during that time. There's a story of a of a dad and his daughter, and they were walking down the street when the the sirens come and the and the bombers start coming, and, and and they were close to where this man and his daughter was, and he found a place where they could get secure, and he jumps through this hole, and it's and it's dark at night, so he jumps into this hole, and uh, he tells his daughter, "Honey, come, jump in," and the daughter says what what the flesh would say. She says, "Dad, I can't see you, I can't see you." And the dad, looking up to his daughter, thought, what can I do to get her to understand that she can jump? And he said this, honey, I can see you. And the daughter jumped, and he was able to catch her. Sometimes life seems like that. It seems like, God, I can't see you. I'm going through this struggle. I'm going through this pain. I I just can't see you. And we need to hang on to the promise where God is saying, but I see you. You can keep going. The challenge for us today is can we occupy what we already own? 